0: Hey everybody, it's Jake Wiskirchen, back with you on the Naga Notes podcast. Thanks for tuning back in. And I wanted to share with you that today I'm recording on a Saturday, and that's not usual. Usually I record on a Friday, and I uh, send it off to Safiso, my partner down in Cambodia, for uh, editing and uploading for the weekend, uh, so that you guys can all hear it on Monday, wherever you may be, which is a little odd for me, because Sofiso lives uh, basically a half a day ahead of time, and uh that's that's always weird to me that um sending things into the future <laughs> but uh uh that being as it is um today is saturday and it happens to be a saturday on which i gave a presentation about some new changes to our nevada laws that govern our profession here in the state and our state is notorious for being terrible at everything that relates to mental health and mental wellness from access to care to uh, reimbursement rates to uh, number of providers, I mean it's we're just we're just awful at it and in fact in the in the 50 states, if you count Washington DC we're ranked 51st in the state of Nevada. So part of what we've tried to do as a as a licensing board which I've chaired for the last year plus and uh, of which I've been a member for about uh, two and a half years is we've tried to evolve and dust off some of our old uh, statutes and codes that need updating. And I gave a presentation about that today to a group of clinicians in northern Nevada, about 75 of them. And uh, it made me really proud to think that our profession is evolving in such a way that we're actually going to be bringing more help to more people. And some of those things include technological advances uh, with regard to requiring higher ethics for telehealth and um, lifting a cap on online continuing education units and so forth. It's just a little bit more evolution. It's a little bit of out-of-the-box thinking. It gets us out of the dark ages of mental wellness and uh, mental health. And it and it got me thinking about uh, how we as a profession tend to perpetuate the stigma that we bemoan so frequently by clinging to old traditions for no reason other than the fact that that's just the way that we've done them for so long. And that line of thinking got me into um, considering how c- certain people are addicted to certain patterns. And I use the word addiction very purposely there because I think for many of us, the term addiction tends to conjure up images of substance abuse, you know, whether you're drinking too much or smoking too much or doing too many drugs or whatever it is. Um, that has long been the context with which we use the word addiction. But recently we've started to uncover behavioral addictions. And I don't want to say that behavioral addictions are new, it's just that we've had some new research evolving about video game addictions, pornography addictions. Um, all sorts of other behavioral stuff. I mean, you can have an addiction to going to the gym if you worry too much about putting on weight and gaining weight and looking uh, fit. Uh, we, We can actually call that orthorexia if it becomes something that's pathological, meaning it's unhealthy for you. So there's, there's all sorts of addictions that don't have anything to do with chemical imbalances uh, but have a lot to do with behavioral patterns. And I think one of those behavioral patterns to which uh, some people are addicted is chaos. And I wanted to do a podcast on the addiction to chaos. Uh, and And I think it aligns very well with a lot of the behavioral addictions we have. Certain things like patterns and behaviors and comfort zones, we can certainly just cling to them as though they are the thing that we know best and we never want to leave even though they don't serve us anymore, whether that be a job that we work too long that we hate or being in relationships that we need to leave or just uh, engaging in some sort of habit or um, hobby that we, we, we don't need anymore that maybe served us in some season long ago but no longer serves us now. I know some people who have, you know, been quote-unquote addicted to softball. They they play in five or six uh, games per week. They avoid their families, um, wives, and children miss them. You know, if they're if they're usually they're males, uh, they they miss dad. They miss their husbands, and um, and for me, it's all about emotional avoidance. Um, I talk a lot about that on the podcast. We talk about emotional tolerance, emotional endurance, as a new phrase that I'm going to start dabbling into here and introduce you to down the road. But the idea is that when we get addicted to a pattern, such that we cannot be non-attached anymore, that we can't we can't just walk away and try something new and um, explore and grow and evolve. I, I think that I think that speaks to addiction and whether or not you want to you know label it the according to hoyle uh, definition of addiction whatever that may be uh, i don't think it matters what matters is whether or not it's negatively impacting your life so with that in mind i want to talk about the addiction to chaos that i think a lot of people suffer and uh and it bleeds out into their lives so this is my intro to the addiction to chaos and i hope y'all enjoy it uh, again we're sponsored by zephyr wellness it's uh company here in Reno, Nevada, that I co-own with my co-owner, Lindsay Bell. We have two locations in Reno and Sparks, and we do outpatient counseling. We also serve the Lovelock area out in rural Nevada, and we also work into schools, and we've partnered with several organizations, including a a safe shelter for domestic and sexual violence called Safe Embrace. Check out safeembrace.org. They could certainly use your support, definitely financially. You can donate there on the site, and if you want to learn more about us, check out zephyrwellness.org. And uh, you can you can find out what we do and uh, support us in some way if you like, uh, even if it's just coming to to get your own noggin tuned up and checked out. Um, not everything needs to be pathologized. Sometimes you just go into counseling to pop the hood, make sure that all the the belts are tightened and the and the hoses aren't leaking. <laughs> and and uh, if I can carry that metaphor a little bit further, make sure the fuel is running into the engine appropriately. <laughs> So that all being said, I appreciate you listening and uh, and enduring this uh, little bit longer introduction. I just want to give you a little bit of insight into what my mind does as it arrives on these topics and today happened to be one of those where I was appreciative of a field as a whole that may have been addicted to a a pattern of behavior uh, that's beset us for the last 30 years or so that no longer worked and we need to get out of it. And so our licensing board decided to make some changes and the legislature will make some changes and some other organizations will also make changes and, and together we'll evolve and we'll get us we'll get Nevada off the, the cellar floor here at 51st where we're done dwelling and move into the future, uh, hopefully climbing the ladder of uh, behavioral health care nationally in the United States. Thanks as always and I uh, will see you in a week. Enjoy the podcast on the Addiction to Chaos. Whenever I mention an addiction to chaos to people, whether it be in a crowd or individually, I get almost a 50 50 split between people who have a little gleam in their eye, smile and nod knowingly, and then lean in, uh, asking me to expound upon what I mean. And then the other half just kind of slips into a trout faced stare, uh, agape, wondering what the heck I'm talking about and why anyone would ever be addicted to chaos. Well, in response to that, and in response to some requests recently, I am going to explain, and hopefully to both sides of that audience, what I mean by an addiction to chaos. Because it doesn't make any sense at all that somebody would be addicted to chaos. I mean, why, why would we? Why would we want to live in chaos? A chaotic pattern doesn't help us. Uh, and the the underlying presumption here is that people want to live in peace and tranquility, but that's not always the case. And If you've ever walked the earth and interacted with people for some measure of time, you probably have some idea about what I'm referencing. When I say the phrases, walking on eggshells, um, emotional warfare or emotional hostage-taking, and or bat bleep crazy, Um, those types of folks, uh, if we've encountered them at any point in our lives, are the ones who typically are addicted to chaotic patterns and those are really stressful to deal with those 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 types of folks now i'm going to categorize with language like those people and that's not typically the way that i speak and i so i want to i want to give a a very strong asterisk to that so when i'm saying those people those folks uh people who struggle with this kind of thing I don't mean that it's permanent, and I certainly don't mean that they're born that way. I absolutely believe that environment creates a lot of our psychological ailments, and I believe that with changes to our own functioning in our own environment, we can overcome those things and return to a happier, or healthy way of functioning. So that disclaimer out of the way... I'm going to continue to refer to people who are addicted to chaos as, uh, you know, almost as a blanket statement, so that so it's easier to qualify. But I want you to understand that I believe that people who may be addicted to chaotic patterns absolutely can recover, and there's hope for everyone. So, that all being said, why would someone end up in a pattern of behavior that draws them into stuff that doesn't make any sense and only keeps them suspended in misery? Well. The very simple and possibly oversimplistic explanation is that they were massively invalidated early on in life and for a long, long period of time. And my first inclination would say to, would be to say that they're emotionally invalidated. Now, a lot of this podcast has to do with emotions, and, and I guess you understand that if you've been listening for any length of time. But there's also different forms of invalidation. There's experiential invalidation where um, – People are put into what's called a double bind, and in our field, we have this phrase called a double bind, where you're essentially damned if you do and damned if you don't. So an example of a double bind as a child might be, don't do that, or I will punish you, and if you do it, I will still punish you. And that doesn't make much sense to most people who are raised in healthy households, but those of you who were not maybe raised in healthy households know exactly what I'm talking about, where... You couldn't win no matter what choice you made, and so no matter what, the, the result was going to be misery. If you do that long enough, and granted, we all slip into moments where we, we just kind of kind of go berserk, and, and we say things we don't mean, and, and we treat people poorly, but if you're exposed to that long enough over a period of time, say, from youth through adolescence and you know out of high school age, what ends up happening is that you, you end up not trusting anyone and your, your homeostasis or your way of being, your, your pattern, tends then to be very chaotic. It tends to be very unpredictable, it tends to be very insecure, uh, and it tends to breed a lot of distrust. So as a result, what ends up happening is your new normality now, your your normalcy, your baseline of functioning is high inconsistency, such that it becomes familiar and predictable. And while no one wants unfamiliarity, unpredictability, um, we want we want predictability, we want tranquility, we want peace. What ends up happening is is for people who are addicted to chaos, they end up falling into this pattern so much that to offer them a way out of it is so foreign that they reject it. So let's take, for example, somebody who has trouble keeping a job. They're always finding a way to escape work, escape the commitment, bail out. Um, Say they get a little restless after a couple of months or a couple of years even, and and they punch out. And they always find a way to do it. Maybe it's through self-sabotage or they actually end up doing something destructive. Or maybe it's just a restlessness where they end up quitting and then blaming the boss or citing some circumstance or uh, lack of pay or uh, lack of respect around the workplace or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. The point is that this pattern evolves and over time, from the perspective of the casual observer, we can see this and go, you know what? There seems to be this pattern where you're just not steady and stable in a career for any length of time. Why are you always jumping around to the person who's doing it, and those in their um, innermost circles, the reasons that they give are very valid and very justified. Now, we, would, we might call that rationalizing, or we might call it intellectualizing, where the reason may seem, yeah, you know, the boss sucked, or uh, you know the, the working conditions were terrible, or uh, the pay was less than I wanted, or less than I thought I deserved. Now that's fine. But when it starts to evolve over some length of time, say years, for example, or multiple job instances where we can't simply chalk it up to uh, circumstance any longer, and we have to look at the person and find that the person is the common denominator, what we have is a pattern of chaos. You can't settle in, can't be peaceful and tranquil in anything. And and I'm not talking about people who evolve and jump from one job to the next, to the next because they've mastered something, because they they can no longer sit still, because they're restless and they want to achieve more. I'm talking about people who... Uh, continually start at the bottom, work their way up, and then leave for whatever reason, and then have to start at the bottom again and work their way up. This may be uh, multiple times going back to school. It may be complete career changes from, say, you know law enforcement to insurance or from uh, insurance to uh, real estate or from real estate to sales or you know, some, something where it's, it just doesn't make any sense at all. I'm not talking about real estate firm to real estate firm or uh, law enforcement job to law enforcement job. That's, that's not what I'm talking about, although that may apply in certain circumstances. What I'm talking about is a continued pattern of, of constant change where it just doesn't really add up other than the person's own personal discomfort. And we can also extend this to personal relationships, uh, romantic relationships. Uh, can't, can't keep anybody around very long, but they plunge in very quickly and very suddenly. And they they talk about how they're going deep, and you know maybe they uh, move in together right away, or maybe they get engaged. Uh, but then uh, a year and a half or two years in, or even five years in, they, they bail out. And so you know, sometimes we we playfully call these people uh, you know serial monogamists, where uh, they they jump in and. Uh, I'm committed to this person, but then after a number of years or number of months, they, they just bail out and jump right into another fully committed relationship. This is a pattern of chaos. Any way you slice it, it's not peaceful, it's not tranquil, and they always find a way to complain about it, uh, justify the outside world why they're leaving, and then leave. And this comes from a, a long pattern of emotional invalidation. And like I said, if you've listened to the podcast for any length of time, you know that I spend a lot of time talking about emotional functioning. And a big part of emotional functioning is being able to tolerate the, the lack of control that we experience when we feel emotion. Because we don't have any control over whether or not we feel something, what we do have control over is how much and how long we feel it. So if you're not practiced at being vulnerable allowing intimacy in and tolerating it you're probably not going to go there for a very long period of time and typically these folks who struggle with this have this uh, artificially high internal level of anxiety it's a worry about something wondering whether the the next shoe's going to drop or when uh, if somebody's out for them and i don't mean like some sort of paranoia where they're looking over their shoulders and wearing a tinfoil hat i mean people who are just genuinely concerned that things aren't going to last uh, it's good for now, but it'll always end. So in sto- instead of waiting for it to end by somebody else's hand, they'll pull the ripcord and bail out on their own. So it gives them a sense of, of control over a situation where they usually don't have any. And that's all because uh, internally, they're just they're just high vibrating and they can't sit still. Some other ways this manifests is maybe when the external environment has no reason to give them a justification for being anxious. So maybe you're sitting at a family dinner, everybody's getting along, it's the holidays, we're all happy. There's no reason to cause fights, but yet this person will pick a fight. They always pick the fight, they always start an argument, they always find some way to criticize, knowing that the person they criticize will fire back and then chaos ensues and and uh, conflict erupts. Well, that's all done to justify the internal level of anxiety that they feel. Essentially, what's going on is inside them, either physiologically or psychologically or even both, they'll, they'll, have, they'll be fluttering at a high level and the external environment won't give them any reason for that to be happening. Internally, they feel it though. So what they'll do is they'll make the external world conflict-oriented or chaotic in order to justify their own internal level of, of high-fluttering anxiety so that they can point at something and say, see, see, that's, that's why I feel the way that I feel because, you know, Cousin Larry looked at me the wrong way. Well, Cousin Larry looked at you the wrong way because you insulted him over the turkey dinner at Thanksgiving. Um, you caused it, <laughs> but uh, they, they won't see it that way because all they're trying to do is unconsciously justify what's going on with them internally. How did they get there? Well, I mentioned the emotional invalidation. I mentioned the experiential invalidation. If you do that long enough, what ends up happening is um, if, we, if we look at a scale of like 0 to 10, most people, and I mean you know, most people, we, we might run at a, a level of like 0 to 2 on a, on a regular basis. Wake up in the morning, you're at a 0. Uh, some stuff happens throughout the day. You, you jump up to a 1 or a 2. Maybe a crisis happens. You pop up to an 8. But then you handle the crisis and you re-regulate back down to a 2. Well, for these folks, because they were so invalidated as youth uh, through any number of things, it's not always parents, sometimes it's uh, you know being bullied at school, sometimes it's a lack of um, support, uh, sometimes it's a, a, a perception of, of inferiority, maybe there's a perfectionistic tendency, but whatever. The point is they, they've now graduated to adulthood, and what they've got going on is they're running at a level six all the time. Now, for those of us who don't always run at a level six, we may be running at a zero to two. And when the external environment creates something that necessitates our attention, we will spring to it, deal with it, and then calm back down. But for the people running at a level six all the time, they have that artificially high internal level of anxiety that's been created repeatedly over time. What they'll do is they'll encounter a peaceful, tranquil environment. And they won't know what to do with it, so they'll purposely provoke something in that environment to make what they're feeling on the inside make sense to them, because otherwise it doesn't make sense, and then they feel like they're crazy on the inside. And they're not crazy, they've just not practiced peace and tranquility the way that people who are raised in an emotionally validating environment know to be peaceful and tranquil. And then what ends up happening is if this accelerates to a level where it's it's a really high frequent occurrence you might get fights picked uh not at you know tranquil episodes but you might get fights picked all the time there might always be some reason to complain some always some reason always to find fault and those invite power struggles and tugs of war and so forth such that the the recipients on the other end get to use phrases like walking on eggshells, or emotional warfare, um, or bat bleep crazy. Um, and it's, and it's, not, it's not fair to judge these folks in such a way. What, what we should be doing is offering some compassion. But the problem is they're so consumed with the anxiety and the, and the high fluttering and the chaotic pattern that even to receive the information is very difficult. Most people that I've experienced who deal with this uh, high level of chaos and that you know such that they're addicted to it are also so shame driven because they don't believe that they're worthwhile or of value or that they even uh, contain the capacity to fix it. That if you present them an opportunity to solve uh, a problem, for example, just some some solution, like hey, I don't want to argue about this right now they may re- their ears may be so sensitive that they hear that and go oh what you don't think i'm good enough to you know to to debate with and then all of a sudden the argument is on yet again and so that's where it feels like there's no winning like you're you're backed into a corner and that's that's the double bind that we that we refer to where you're damned if you do and damned if you don't what ends up happening is they spin that around and throw it onto other people the same thing that they were victim to throughout childhood adolescence or, or early adulthood or what have you um, what often accompanies this type of thing is is substance abuse. Um, sometimes there there might be a bipolar disorder uh, on board because there's there's lots of mood swings that um, aren't able to be regulated because they they've fallen into this pattern of chaos. Um, but sometimes it, it just stands on its own, and and yet other times it seems very hard to predict because. The outside world will see this very stable, highly successful person who has a career of 30 years, hasn't jumped jobs, uh, has been married for a long time, hasn't jumped spouses, and yet behind the scenes, uh, they're causing chaos and turmoil and friction within their own family. And usually, in my experience, a, a very robust uh, biopsychosocial interview will reveal, if, if the person is honest, it'll reveal a lot of childhood trauma that um, was was never really resolved, and so their coping skill is just to make the rest of the world um, as and, and forgive the the expression as crazy as they believe that they are, um, or as as ashamed as they are. So you'll get a lot of victim playing. Uh, playing the victim is very different from being the victim. By the way, if you, if you're a victim and you've been victimized, I don't want to invalidate that. Um, you know, people get victimized all the time, but playing the victim is to relive the thing that already happened and then seek empathy, sympathy, uh, compassion from others, even though it's it's long since past. So playing the victim will, will accompany this a lot of times, especially if the person who's suffering this chaotic addiction is uh, driven by shame. Uh, it was once said that uh, people who live in shame act out of shame and and if they're living in shame, they will just, just believe that they're no good, nothing, and, um, and they'll try to draw people into that almost as a, as a martyrdom to, to help folks pull them out of it, but then they'll reject that help too. So there's a help-rejecting-complaining mechanism that comes along with this, and uh, that's a little bit of, of counseling lingo uh, that I'll explain here um, for a moment. Uh, to be help-rejecting-complaining is to seek help, reject the help, and then complain more, uh, only to repeat it again. To you know, to ask for help, and then so somebody offers help, and then you say, "No, not like that." And then complain that you know nothing ever changes. So, help rejecting complaining is often on board with people who are uh, addicted to chaos. And so, um, it, it's it's very convoluted. It's very complex, but um, that's why we get phrases like walking on eggshells. You don't know what to do. It just seems like every time you encounter this person, you're, uh, they're going to snap, and then you're going to be uh, blamed for it, and um, nothing ever resolves. So, now that I've laid the foundation, and, and people are probably nodding their heads going, yeah, 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 I know somebody like that. What do you do about it? Okay, here's what you do about it. First of all, you have to be emotionally non-attached. Most of the stuff that uh, accompanies somebody who's addicted to chaotic patterns um, will throw out has to do with emotional, um, playing. Uh, what they'll do is they'll, they'll use emotion to get a response. And then you being in that emotional state that you responded will act out of that emotion. Now, what we know about emotional acting out is that you often regret what you do because there's not reason attached to it. Again, I I go over this in in one of the first podcasts about uh, the emotions overview. But essentially, to to review, you can't be logical and emotional at the same time. You can either be one or the other. And that's how the brain works. The the prefrontal cortex is where our reason and logic and rationality are contained. That's our decision-making. That's our executive functioning. In the limbic system, that's where our feelings happen. That's where emotions occur. And there's lots of glands that do lots of things that uh, fire messages into the brain that tell us what to do in response to what our environment is doing. If we act out of emotion, it's typically impulsive. And then uh, we look back, and sometimes we're wrong and we wish we hadn't done what we did out of the emotional state that we were in. So, what we want to do is feel the emotion, recognize it, tolerate it, ride through it, and then make the decision. And this only takes a few seconds most of the time. If somebody uh, comes up and slaps you in the face, the first thing you're going to feel is surprise. Then you might feel fear if they're bigger than you, they're holding a weapon, they're threatening you, something like that. Or uh, if they're not, and it's just some drunk at a bar who you know wants to impress his friends, you may feel anger, and that's fine, and, and anger motivates. But what you want to do is you want to re-regulate down and say, well, what would I reasonably do in this case? If I throw a punch, I might end up in jail. I don't want to end up in jail. I have to go to work the next morning. Uh, Jail's not a good place to be when you're supposed to be at work. So uh, reason would say, I'm just going to walk away from this person. I'm going to retain my dignity and my value, and I don't really care what anybody else thinks at the bar. Um, But if you punch the person out of that angry state, you may later regret it when you end up in jail after the cops show up after the bar fight. So if you're following my logic, we don't want to respond out of emotion. So back to our chaotic pattern people. What they tend to do is they tend to throw emotion around because they're in it themselves. Remember, they're they're fluttering at a high level of internal anxiety, and anxiety is often based in fear, Um, but it can also be based in shame and so forth. So if they're in emotion and they want to bring you into their emotion, what they'll do is they'll trigger yours. If you can be non-attached to this, if you can be reasonable and rational about it, You then don't have to slip into that emotional state out of which you will then act and then regret what you do. Here's the qualifier, though. The person in the chaotic pattern who's trying to pull you into their emotional chaos will not likely receive your reason because it's an attempt to regulate them down out of their six. Now, remember, if they're at a six out of ten, they're not used to being at a two, and they're going to fight it, just like anybody fights changing out of a pattern or habit that they've known for a really long time. Similarly, if you offer them a path to peace and tranquility, like, hey, let's just make up and get along, they'll try to figure out some way to bail out of that. They'll distract, they'll avoid, they'll cause more problems, etc., etc. All because the path to peace and tranquility represents actual peace and tranquility, And that's something that's usually so foreign that it's scary enough that they don't want to go there. It's easier to be miserable than it is to embrace the idea of change, even if that change is excellent and good and happy and awesome. So staying in your reason mind and staying in your reason-based mode will probably tick them off. And you have to expect that. If you remain non-attached, however, and say that, that's fine. I recognize that you're in chaos. You're Don't say this, by the way. That'll just that'll just make them even more angry and inflamed. But if you say in your own head, hey, I recognize that you're in chaos. You're, you're struggling right now. You just want to pick fights at the Thanksgiving dinner table or whatever. I'm just not going to enjoy, entertain it. I'm not going to enjoin you in that. You can remain in your place of peace and not jump over the, the other side and inflame the argument, continue the chaos, engage in the power struggle of the tug-of-war. They can sit there and vibrate and flop up and down and flap their arms and froth at the mouth. You don't have to, and that's fine. That's on them. They'll eventually burn out. If everybody in their world does that to them, it's a little bit like yelling at a wall. The wall is not going to respond, no matter how much you yell at it. So if we can learn to be non-attached, we can engage these folks with compassion and not necessarily ruin our own lives by joining them in their uh, emotional chaos. What else can you do? Well, you can validate it. You can validate where they're at, and I, I'm a big believer in this. You know, you say, let's take the uh, dinner table at Thanksgiving example. You're all enjoying turkey and stuffing. Everybody's got a couple of glasses of wine in them. Uh, there's, you know, the Lions are on TV playing football because that's what they do on Thanksgiving. Uh, probably losing because that's also what the Lions do on Thanksgiving or every other game of the year, but that point aside, um, everybody's happy. They're all sitting around, and, and maybe this person decides to start an argument. Um, all you got to do is say, hey, look, I understand that you, you're really fired up right now, and I, I would be fired up too because, remember, if you were them, you would be. We're not looking at this through your lens. We're looking at it through their lens. So you can say, I, I'd be fired up too. Um, hey, but, but I'm just trying to enjoy my turkey, so I, I'd rather just talk about turkey. And what that does is it says, I know, I notice where you're at. I'm not going to run over the top of you, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to invalidate you. It speaks to the emotion that says, Hey, you're fired up. And you don't have to necessarily uh, label it as anger or, or shame or fear or whatever, because that that could incite an argument as well. But you can say something generic like, Hey, it looks like you're you're really you're really fired up. That's fine. This isn't the place for it right now. And you set a limit, and you say, I'm validating you. I'm setting a limit. We're not going to talk about this right now because it's Thanksgiving dinner. Also know that when you set the limit, because they're probably not used to limits being set, that will incur a fight. And that's fine. You don't have to fight back. You just set your limit and let it be there. Um, the temptation will be to engage that and reinforce the limit and, and do all that stuff. But you don't have to just say, hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in talking about that right now. Um, this is Thanksgiving. I want to enjoy my turkey and, and my cranberry stuffing and watching the Lions lose on TV. Um if that person who's trying to pick the fight doesn't respect your limit, that's fine. That's on them. You don't have to re-engage them. You just you just keep eating your turkey and you can talk to, you know, your, your cousin next to you rather than the person who's trying to pick the fight. Um, but the the first thing you have to do is you have to validate it. And you have to validate it as though you are that person. You say, I, I get where you're coming from and I totally appreciate that. And not but because but is invalidating and it, it invites a binary, and we're just trying to enjoy a, a nice Thanksgiving dinner. Don't need to. Don't need to argue right now. And if if it's truly them who's you know the only one spinning in chaos, they'll probably be seething on the inside. But they'll respect the limit because there's so many other people who aren't interested in engaging that conversation. So, um, the first thing you can do is is um, is validate, then set the limit. Um, but you can also just. Um, not engage, right? You can be non-attached. One final thing you can do too is table the matter, right? You can, you can offer to, Hey, that's, that sounds, that sounds like a good topic for later. Um, Right now I'm, I'm I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm cooking dinner. I'm eating dinner. I'm playing with my kids. I'm, you know, whatever you are, that's not (laughs) dealing with whatever they brought up that they want to pick the fight with. Say that I totally get that. Let's talk about that another time. And what you've done is you've essentially both set the limit and validated. You validated that something important to that person and you said, I'm not going to deal with it right now. You've tabled it. You said, I'm I'm going to deal with this later. So, uh, that's one way of dealing with people who are constantly addicted to chaos and trying to create problems where there aren't any is to say, you know what, let's, let's talk about this later. I see that it's important to you. Uh, I just want to deal with it right now. Um, I've found that to be very helpful. And, um, and, and nobody can really argue with that too. Cause you know, it's like, no, I, I need to talk about it right now. It's like, well, I'm not going to, and I'm the other half of this conversation. So if I'm not going to, where does that leave you? The person who's trying to create chaos leaves you shouting into the wind. So what you're doing is you're, you're teaching them that, that you're, you're not going to be bent over by their emotional whims. And I think that's very important. So, um, can, continue to practice that limit setting can practice the the non-attachment but also the the validation um every once in a while you'll encounter somebody who's addicted to chaos who actually recognizes that their life is miserable and they really want help Uh, what do you do with that well of course, validate it. Say that's that's great. I appreciate that you're you're coming to me with this, and then um, help them help them to find help. And I think one of the great ways to help somebody who's been in a in a chaotic pattern is to seek out somebody who's knowledgeable in what's called dialectical behavior therapy DBT. I'm not going to go into that right now, but DBT tends to help people regulate themselves through a series of skill teaching that has to do with emotional functioning. So. Uh, if somebody happened, you, you know, one of these people who's in your life who, you know, on, on whose eggshells you walk um, <laughs> comes to you and says, Hey, I realize I've been a jerk uh, for, you know, the last 35 years, um, and I, and I want to do something about it. Uh, I'm trusting in you not to to hose me or lead me the wrong way. What, what, what do you suggest? Well, if you're listening to this podcast, I would suggest you, you find a, a counselor, a clinician who's really good in emotional functioning, and also somebody who knows uh, dialectical behavior therapy. Um, But no matter what, be present for the person and validate them. This may be the first time that they've ever reached out to somebody and you don't want to let that um, X number of years, you know, I I mentioned 35, but that, that number of years worth of history influence your rejection of them say screw you you've you've always you know tried to pick fights with me and I never wanted to pick fights with you and you know you're dead to me don't do that Um, all human souls can be saved people are deserving of the audience that we need to give them in order to help them heal so that we can all heal and we can all walk in happiness together. Don't let your own homeostasis with them, your own pattern of of behavior with that person, your own frustrations historically um, prohibit you from lending a helping hand. Please help people if they're asking. And it doesn't matter how disingenuous you think they are or whether it's the 19th time and you don't think that they're going to follow through. The 19th time may actually be the time that they break through. And that's really important with anybody struggling with addiction. We wouldn't, we wouldn't reject somebody who's struggling with alcoholism, who came to us 19 times and has failed the previous 18 and always returned to the bottle and say, screw it, man, I'm done with you. You're not worth my time. Well, that may, that may ruin the person. No, we wanna be there and be, again, be non-attached, be welcoming and, and open and, and helpful and compassionate so that maybe that 19th time that they actually ask works. Um, similarly, with this other addiction to chaos, they may have sought help multiple times in and out of treatment, in and out of therapists, um, you know, blaming therapists, that wasn't the right guy for me. They didn't know what they're talking about. I'm never going back. And then they find themselves back or, you know, on and on and on. Because remember, it's a long-standing pattern of chaos and it, it usually pervades all sorts of interactions. It's not just going to be job. It's not just going to be romantic relationships. It's going to be everything, hobbies, um, doctors, uh, you know, visits to the, to, you know, to the softball team. You know, it doesn't matter. I don't know if you visit a softball team, but um, it's it's going to be this this revolving pattern of 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 um, arms length relationships where intimacy just isn't really present, and there's lots of distraction, and lots of you know, chaos. So. If this 19th time they come to you, don't reject them just because you're tired of them. That's a you issue. Uh, meet them where they are and always be genuine and always be willing to help. So I hope this um, helps create some some semblance of understanding if you've ever encountered one of these types of people. Um, they can be very difficult, and it can seem like they're almost making you crazy, and um, I, I urge not using that type of word. I don't, I don't like using the word crazy to describe people. I think that only sets our field back further, um, but I get what, what it means uh, when people say, you know, bat bleep crazy or walking on eggshells or emotional warfare, You do have a a role to play in this, and it's to remove yourself from being that triggered by those things that they say. Um, It's not about you. It's about them. It's about their own lack of peace and tranquility, and um, you don't have to carry that. You don't have to take it on, but if they do come to you seeking help, um, meet them honestly and uh, meet meet them openly, and remember... You don't have to be attached to it. It's not your baggage to carry. It's not your problem to solve. It's theirs. Um, And with all that being said, I invite your comments and feedback. If you like what you heard, please let me know. Info at nogginnotes.com or info at zephyrwellness.org. Please give us a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to this. Uh, Certainly iTunes helps. Um, Patreon, if you're going there. Um, Google Play, all that stuff. Um, But in the meantime... Please share Naga Notes. Uh, this knowledge doesn't do any good locked up in my head. That's why I share it for free. And, uh, and I hope that, that you guys continue to share it amongst each other because if we all just get better, then uh, we all benefit as a society. So on behalf of the Naga Notes team and the Zephyr Wellness family, I wish you all great mental wellness, and I will see you in a week. Bye-bye.